0: Welcome to Saturday Story Circle, always on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Part 1 of The Children's Book of Christmas by J.C. Dyer this libretto recording is in the public domain part 1 christmas greens it is hard for you who have never felt the lack of heat and light to know what the long dark winter must have meant to the men of long ago who first kept the midwinter feast Many of them really believed that as the days grew shorter and shorter, and the nights long and cold, there was danger that the sun might go out altogether and the whole world die in the darkness. When, late in December, the days began to lengthen, and they saw that the sun was coming back to bring again the flowers and the summer heat, they fancied that a new sun had been born. So then, for gladness, they kept a feast, which naturally, in later years, was changed into a festival in honour of the birth of Christ, the Son of Righteousness. With the feast itself, some other of their old customs have been handed down to us, and among them is that of bringing into the house in midwinter the boughs of Christmas green. For these faraway folk believed that wood spirits, you know them as brownies, fairies, and elves, were living in the forests outside, and were so sorry to think of them shivering under the snow-laden trees and in damp, icy caves, that they used to place in the corners of their houses great branches of hemlock and balsam fir, that the good little people might creep into the sort of shelters they loved and be warm." and as the heat of the fire brought out the sweet smell of the fir, it seemed to them like a thank-you from their friends of the summer woods. Thus they, first of all men, felt the wish to give which is the heart of the Christmas spirit, and soon they began to hang little gifts for their unseen guests upon the green boughs, and to make them bright with the berries of holly and ash, After that, it may be that some night hunter, crouching in the underbrush, looked up to the stars and felt that his tree was incomplete without twinkling lights. However that may be, the custom of trimming the house with evergreens, holly and lights at Christmas time is an old, old one. I saw three ships come sailing in. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning? The Virgin Mary and Christ were there on Christmas Day on Christmas Day. The Virgin Mary and Christ were there on Christmas Day in the morning. Pray whither sailed those ships all three on Christmas Day on Christmas Day? Pray whither sailed those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning? Oh, they sailed into Bethlehem on Christmas Day on Christmas Day. Oh, they sailed into Bethlehem on Christmas Day in the morning. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day on Christmas Day. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day in the morning. And all the angels in heaven shall sing on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And all the angels in heaven shall sing on Christmas Day in the morning. And all the souls on earth shall sing on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And all the souls on earth shall sing on Christmas Day in the morning. Then let us all rejoice amain on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Then let us all rejoice amain on Christmas Day in the morning. THE ANGELS AND THE SHEPHERDS Now in the days of Herod king of Judea, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city in Galilee named Nazareth, unto a virgin whose name was Mary, to whom he said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. But she was greatly troubled by his greeting, and wondered what such words could mean. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God, he said, and went on to tell her of the son who should be hers, and whom she was to call Jesus. He shall be great, she was told, and shall be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now it came to pass there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled, and all went to enroll themselves, every one in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, to enroll himself with Mary. And it came to pass, while they were there, she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds in the same country, abiding in the field and keeping watch by night over their flock. And an angel of the Lord stood by them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid." And the angel said unto them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this is the sign unto you, ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men in whom he is well pleased. And it came to pass, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing that is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found both Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known concerning the saying which was spoken to them about this child. And all that heard it wondered at the things which were spoken unto them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, even as it was spoken unto them. And when eight days were fulfilled, his name was called Jesus. WHILE SHEPHERDS WATCHED While shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down, and glory shone around, Fear not, said he, for mighty dread had seized their troubled mind. Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind. To you in David's town this day is born of David's line, the Saviour who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be the sign. The heavenly babe you there shall find, to human view displayed, all meanly wrapped in swathing bands and in a manger laid. Thus spake the seraph, and forthwith appeared a shining throng of angels praising God, and thus addressed their joyful song, All glory be to God on high, and to the earth be peace. Good will henceforth from heaven to men begin and never cease. THE WISE MEN FROM THE EAST now when jesus was born behold wise men from the east came to jerusalem saying where is he that is born king of the jews for we saw his star in the east and are come to worship him and when herod the king heard it he was troubled and all jerusalem with him and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the christ should be born And they said unto him, Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, art in no wise least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come forth a governor, which shall be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod privily called the wise men, and learned of them carefully what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, go, and search out carefully concerning the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I also may come and worship him. And they, having heard the king, went their way, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy and they came into the house and saw the young child with mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him and opening their treasures they offered unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned of god in a dream that they should not return to herod they departed into their own country another way Now, when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I tell thee, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the male children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the borders thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had carefully learned of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by jeremiah the prophet saying a voice was heard in ramah weeping and great mourning rachel weeping for her children and she would not be comforted because they were not but when herod was dead behold an angel of the lord appeared in a dream to joseph in egypt saying arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of israel For they are dead that sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. And being warned of God in a dream, he withdrew into the parts of Galilee, and came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, that he should be called a nazarene strajewand in holland a dutch boy does not have to wait until december twenty five for the great gift day of the year he is one of those who look for the gift-bringing saint on the eve of his own day which falls on december six for days beforehand the shops have been filled with toys and gaily trimmed and on the evening of december five St. Nicholas is supposed by the little ones to make choice of the special treasure intended for little Dutch Jan or Margie. Indeed, it is one of the children's streets to go out on that night to see the shops, and in the doorway of many of them stands a gorgeously clad likeness of the saint. At home the children in turn are visited by the saint— in he walked carrying a big sackful of candies, oranges, apples, and so forth, which he scatters on the floor. Indeed, the eve of St. Nicholas is called in Holland, "Droevond," which means a strewing evening. This idea of a strewing evening crops up curiously often as one reads of the various customs connected with the December holidays the world over. In southern France, the Provencal women strew wheat on the surface of shallow dishes of water, planting St. Barbara's grain. In Mexico, the children tried to break with a long stick a bag or jug swung high above their heads, scattering the contents at last all over the floor in some parts of servia there is found among the christmas customs one which is probably the remnant of an early rite from which all of these strewing evenings come in that country after the christmas fire has been started with due ceremonies the mother of the family brings in a bundle of straw which has been made ready early in the day all the young children arrange themselves behind her in a row she then starts walking slowly about the hall and all the adjoining rooms, throwing on the floor handfuls of straw, and at the same time imitating the hen's sound, cock, 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 while all the children representing the hen's little chickens merrily follow, shouting, peew, peew, peew. The floor, well strewn with straw, and the little folk in breathless heaps upon it. The oldest man of the family throws a few walnuts in every corner of the hall after this a large pot or a small wooden box is filled with wheat and placed a little higher than a man's head in the east corner of the hall in the middle of the wheat is fixed a tall candle of yellow wax the father of the family then reverently lights the candle and folding his arms on his breast he prays while all who are present stand silently behind him asking God to bless the family with health and happiness, to bless the fields with good harvests, the beehives with plenty of honey, the sheep with many lambs, the cows with rich, creamy milk, and so on. When he finishes his prayer, he bows deeply before the burning candle, and all those standing behind him do the same. He then turns toward them and says, May God hear our prayer, and may he grant us all health to which they answer, God grant it, Amen. In Holland, the very little children believe that while they are busy gathering up the saint's goodies, or else in the night he hides away the presents meant for them all over the house. Before they go to bed, they place their largest shoes, wooden sabots, such as you see in almost every picture of Dutch children, in the chimney-place, where in the morning they find them stuffed with fruit, nuts and sweets. There are no lie beds in Holland on St. Nicholas morning. There is a glorious game of seek and find going on in every house where there are children. Piet takes down one of the shining copper saucepans hanging beside the chimney-place, and finds curled up inside it the mini-petticoated doll, which, of course, he hands over to a delighted little sister, who has somewhere discovered his box of gaily-painted leaden soldiers. There are plenty of hiding-holes in an old Dutch house. Thick oak beams support the walls and roofs, and make wide ledges upon which Rupert may find a packet containing two flat silver buttons, which once belonged to his great-grandfather.' He is the oldest son, beginning to be particular about his striped waistcoats and the tight fit of his blue or red coat. He will be immensely proud to wear, as every other man in the old village does, two silver buttons at the waist of his baggy trousers. In the parts of Holland, where the new fashions have not spoiled the old, silver buttons are to the men what such coral necklaces as Rupert's sister wears, are to the women. These buttons are always as big as the men can afford, and sometimes are like saucers. The little boys, even the tiniest ones, are dressed exactly after the pattern of their fathers, but their two flat buttons are smaller, about as large as fifty-cent pieces, and stamped with some design, the favorite one being a ship when all the gifts have been hunted out, down to a pair of skates with long, curved tips for a boy so little that you would think St. Nicholas must have made a mistake if you did not know that Dutch children learn to skate almost as early as you learn to walk. The children are ready for the season's other special treat, the gingerbread cakes.' Delicately spiced gingerbread is made into many fantastic shapes, but every one, young or old, receives a gingerbread doll. Figures of men are given to the folk, and of women in ruffles and straight skirts to the men. It is interesting to see how exactly like these gingerbread figures are in outline to those in early Dutch paintings. The models from which they are patterned frequently date from the 15th and 16th centuries. How St. Nicholas Came to Volendam. One winter I was staying with my husband at the little fishing village of Volendam, and we wished that the little Volendamers, who are all very poor, would for once have a splendid St. Nicholas. A French artist who was there at the same time was, of our opinion, and we were equally supported by our host Pandar and his wife and their family of blooming daughters. In the wooden hotel there is a coffee-room, long and low, of really vast proportions. In the summer time half of it forms the drawing-room. At the farther end of this apartment is a small stage, with wings on this occasion thanks to spander the whole of it was covered in spotless white tables were erected and upon their surface were arranged about a thousand toys and as many oranges and cakes a white throne was placed for saint nicholas whose part was taken by the frenchman he wore a long white woollen robe falling over a purple silk underdress a cape of costly old yellow brocade, and a gorgeous jeweled mitre, and he was made venerable by long white hair and beard. The dress of the black slave, whose part was taken by my husband, was equally correct and effective, a long tight-fitting garment of green velvet showing a white robe underneath. An orange silk turban was wound round the black locks of a disguising wig and lit up his cork black face, so much for the preparations, completed with considerable trouble and a great deal of amusement. My husband painted a large poster, on which was set forth a notice to all the children of Hollandam that at six-thirty a boat would land upon the quay, bearing saint nicholas and his faithful slave laden with gifts one may easily imagine the joy and delight of these poor fisher children into whose uneventful lives what english children call a treat hardly ever enters they crowded about the announcement and read that saint nicholas would come laden with gifts who can say what wild beautiful hopes filled their hearts before five o'clock the youngsters began to assemble The quay was crowded with them, so was the narrow road leading from the quay to the hotel. The parents also were there, quite as excited and almost as credulous as their children. Indeed all Volendam turned out to welcome the saint. Rain began to fall, but although it soaked their poor clothes, it seemed to have no damping effect upon their spirits, all afire as they were with expectation. Meanwhile, the saint and his slave rowed out to their boat. It was now almost dark, but in the faint light one could still distinguish the fishing boats which always crowd the harbour, their tall masts and sails dimly defined against the grey sky, and their narrow flags gently flapping in the rain. At one point there was an opening between the boats, a glimmering waterway where those who were in the secret expected the boat to appear. The time passed slowly, it was seven o'clock, and everyone was very wet. Still, all Volendam was full of cheerful good humour. At length, a blaze of bright light far out on the water revealed the saint, a venerable figure standing in the boat, Crozier in hand, evidently blessing the expectant crowd. In a few moments the boat reached the landing-place. With blare of trumpets, and by the light of the torches, a procession was formed. How radiant were the faces illumined by the flickering glow! Soon the warm, well-lighted café was reached. The saint sat on his throne, and his good slave rapidly distributed presents to the little ones, safely housed from the inclement weather. Alas, they were very wet, but as not one of the 700 coughed during the distribution, it may be concluded that the young Bolendammers do not easily take cold. Their surroundings are so damp that they are almost amphibious. Every face beamed with happiness. The genial St. Nicholas and his hard-worked slave, the Spandauer family, all helping vigorously, the three fine tall Wollendammers, who in their yellow scarves of office kept order so gently and gaily, down to the very youngest child. All the faces were sweet and patient and aglow with the pleasure either of giving or receiving. The crowd of children looked plump and healthy, and although many garments were much patched, there were no rags. The poorest seemed to be well cared for and comfortable. 700 of them were made happy with toys and fruit, but there was no scrambling or pushing, nothing but happy expectation, and then still more happy satisfaction. All too soon it was over. The last child clattered down the long room with its precious armful. Afterwards, we heard from the school teachers and the children's parents, that most of them believed firmly that it was the real saint descended from heaven who had laid his hands on their heads in benediction as they received their presents from the black slave, Beatrix Jungmann. Keeping Christmas in the Old Way there is an amusing account of how Christmas used to be observed in England, in the time of George the Second in a little book called Roundabout Our Coal-Fire, or Christmas Entertainments, published in 1740. The author begins, First, acknowledging the sacredness of the holy time of Christmas, I proceed to set forth the rejoicings which are generally made at the great festival. You must understand, good people, that the manner of celebrating this great course of holy days is vastly different now to what it was in former days. There was once upon a time hospitality in the land. An English gentleman, at the opening of the great day, had all his tenants and neighbours enter his hall by daybreak. The strong beer was broached, and the blackjacks were plentifully about with toast sugar, nutmeg, and good Cheshire cheese. The rooms were embowered with holly, ivy, cypress, bays, laurel, and mistletoe, and a bouncing Christmas log in the chimney, glowing like the cheeks of a country milkmaid. Then was the pewter as bright as Clarinda, and every bit of brass as polished as the most refined gentleman. The servants were then running here and there, with merry hearts and jolly countenances. Everyone was busy welcoming of guests, and looked as smug as new licked puppies, the lasses as blithe and buxom as the maids in good Queen Bess's days, when they eat sirloins of roast beef for breakfast. Peg would scuttle about to make toast for John, while Tom run harum-scarum to draw a jug of ale for Marjorie. Gaffer Spriggins was bid thrice welcome by the squire, and Goody Goose did not fail of a smacking bust from his worship, while his son and heir did the honours of the house. In a word, the spirit of generosity ran through the whole house. In these times all the spits were sparkling, the hacken, a great sausage, must be boiled by daybreak, or else two young men took the maiden, the cook, by the arms, and run her round the marketplace, till she was ashamed of her laziness. And what was worse than this, she must not play with the young fellows that day, but stand neuter, like a girl doing penance, in a winding sheet at a church door." but now let us inquire a little farther to arrive at the sense of the thing this great festival was in former times kept with so much freedom and openness of heart that every one in the country where a gentleman resided possessed at least a day of pleasure in the christmas holy days the tables were all spread from the first to the last the sirloins of beef the minced pies the plum porridges the capons turkeys geese and plum-puddings were all brought upon the board and all those who had sharp stomachs and sharp knives eat heartily and were welcome which give rise to the proverb merry in the hall when beards wag all a merry gentleman of my acquaintance desires i will insert that the old folks in the days of yore kept open house at christmas out of interest for then, says he, they received the greatest part of their rent and kind, such as wheat, barley, or malt, oxen, calves, sheep, swine, turkeys, capon, geese, and such like, and they not having room enough to preserve their cattle or poultry, nor markets to sell off the overplus, they were obliged to use them in their own houses." and by treating the people of the country gained credit amongst them, and riveted the minds and goodwill of their neighbours so firmly in them, that no one durst venture to oppose them. The squire's will was done whatever came on it, for if he happened to ask a neighbour what was a clock, they returned with a low scrape, it was what your worship pleases.' the dancing and singing of the benchers in the great inns of the court at christmas is in some sort founded upon interest for they hold as i am informed some privilege by dancing about the fire in the middle of their hall and singing the song of round about our coal-fire and so forth This time of the year being cold and frosty, generally speaking, or when Jack Frost commonly takes us by the nose, the diversions are within doors, either in exercise or by the fireside. Country dancing is one of the chief exercises. Then comes mumming or masquerading, when the squire's wardrobe is ransacked for dresses of all kinds, and the coal hole searched round, or corks burnt to black the faces of the fair, or make deputy moustaches, and everyone in the family, except the squire himself, must be transformed from what they were. Or else there is a match at blind man's buff, and then it is lawful to set anything in the way for folks to stumble over. As for puss in the corner, that is a very harmless sport, and one may romp at it as much as one will.' the next game to this is questions and commands when the commander may oblige his subject to answer any lawful question and make the same obey him instantly under the penalty of being smutted or paying such forfeit as may be laid on the aggressor but the forfeits being generally fixed at some certain price, as a shilling, half a crown, and so forth, so everyone knowing what to do if they should be too stubborn to submit, making themselves easy at discretion. As for the game of hoop and hide, the parties have the liberty of hiding where they will, in any part of the house, and if they happen to be caught, the dispute ends in kissing and so forth, Most of the diversions are cards and dice, but they are seldom set on foot, unless a lawyer is at hand, to breed some dispute for him to decide, or at least to have some party in. And now I come to another entertainment, frequently used, which is of the storytelling order, viz of hobgoblins, witches, conjurers, ghosts, fairies, and such like, common disturbers." End of part one. Good morning. We hope you're enjoying Saturday's Story Circle. Got enough cereal? How's the coloring going? You can always join us tomorrow on Mutual with the Sunday Showcase. Original audio drama from the United Artists of Audio right here on Mutual. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for exciting audio drama every day, or find the Sunday Showcase feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.